Well, we're going to get started here today. You know, we live in a consumer society where, where businesses are built on customer service. Customer service. And, you know, we've translated that to the world of the church where, uh, where we, we, we've, we see churches as the vehicle for providing a service for me. Except that runs against the grain of what church actually is when we think about the fact that you are the church. Can you say that today? I am the church. So, you know, what that protects us against is any kind of criticism of what the church is not. Because the way God has constructed the church is that when you notice something that's missing, the reason you notice is because God wants you to provide that thing that's missing. That's the call to be the church when you start noticing man you know this church isn't friendly or this church doesn't have this or this would be great then that's the call to begin to do that and see what it see what your role your function your place is in serving the body of christ serving god serving his people we want to be the church but as we begin today we're going to start to worship and there's a certain importance in worship and the order that god wants to bring but let me read from psalm 29, this is, this is what it says. It says, give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Mighty ones, that's you. You are the mighty ones that are called to give unto the Lord. Father, I pray that that would register in our hearts right now, Lord, that you've made us a little lower than Elohim. You know, that's the Hebrew of that scripture in, in, in the Old Testament, little lower than Elohim, and that was translated by the English translators who religiously could not understand what God could possibly intimating, but Elohim is the name of God. They, but they translated it a little lower than the angels, but it was actually a little lower than Elohim. Elohim. Mankind is the crown and glory of God's creation. And we've been made actually higher than angels. Higher in purpose, higher in glory, higher in the function of the kingdom of God. And so, uh, hallelujah. Anyway, I don't want to get carried away. But give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And then it begins to talk. After that, it begins to talk about the magnificence of God. How after the people of God begin to give him glory, then the, then the presence of God begins to stir. And then it begins to articulate what happens when God begins to move in response to actually receiving glory from the earth. Then it says, then the Lord... The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord is over many waters. And the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. And it goes on and it keeps saying, The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says glory. The Lord sat enthroned on the flood and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. 
the Lord will bless his people with peace. So let's do this today. Let's exalt him. Let's give him the glory, not the glory we feel we want to give right now, but the glory due his name. What is the glory that's due him? What does he deserve? So many times we come and we think, what do I want? What do I deserve? What should be done for me? And God says, me first. Give me the glory. Do my name. God, we want to give you the attention, the focus. We want to direct our gaze and our eyes upon you. We want to say, Lord, you are glorious. And greatly to be praised. You are greatly to be praised. Glory. Praise your name. Praise the Lord. There's a message in the worship where God is trying to bridge the gap between heaven and earth. That's what we're doing when we're praying. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And it says, the victory is near you, even in your mouth. And what faith does is faith introduces heaven into the realm of the earth. Faith reaches through the veil. Faith reaches into the eternal and brings it into the now. The miracle can happen here and now. If I believe, if there is faith, faith transcends time. So we say, Lord, we enter into the atmosphere of heaven. We enter into the supply of heaven. We enter into the reign of God. Now. So in this atmosphere, I'm going to grab hold and I'm going to say for years, the Lord has put it on my heart to declare that this place is a cancer-free zone. And so in faith, responding to the atmosphere that is being laid in this place, I grab hold of that. And I declare, if anything can happen here, if miracles can happen here, which I believe, if God is in this place and if God is in me, then I grab hold of that truth and I declare that this is a cancer-free zone. I send cancer away in Jesus' name. I send it out of this building. I send it out of these people. I send it out of this city. I send it out of this province. In Jesus' name, I declare that this is a cancer-free zone. And there is no cancer in heaven. And if this is heaven on earth, I declare that this is a cancer-free zone in Jesus' name. And I apply my faith to that right now in Jesus' name. All of your will. All of your will be done. Come on, this is what we're praying. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth. What is your will for my life? What is your will for my children? What is your will for my nation? What is your will for this city? What is your will for this church? Let it be done. Let it be done. 
it be done. Let it be done. Your will, not mine, not the will of Satan, not the will of the accuser, not to the will of a destroying spirit. Your will, your will, your will, your will be done. You know, a few weeks ago I shared and I was talking to the body about just things that sometimes happen in our life that don't make sense. And what do we do with that? What do we do with those moments? And even this morning as I'm in here, I just sense people struggling with those things that are going on in their life that just don't make sense. You know, this week, me and Jan had something. uh, It didn't necessarily happen to us, but it feels like it did. Something happened that just didn't make sense. Twelve years ago, we toured with the Watoto Children's Choir. And we toured with a team of 18 orphans. And we loved them. And we had the pleasure of sponsoring one of those kids that we actually toured with. His name is Peter. And we sponsored him for the last 12 years. And about two days ago, we got a little, I don't know, text, email, that Peter died. 19 years old, 20 years old. Rainy day in Uganda. Went outside to put his clothing on the clothing line. Somehow a power line had fallen somewhere onto it. As he put his clothes on the power line, he electrocuted himself to death. That don't make sense. But you know what we grab onto? We have a big God who's got an amazing plan. And he's already in the process of redeeming something through this. Something amazing. Something beautiful. I don't know what it is. But I know it's happening. Because that's the God we serve. This is why we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is heaven. Your will be done. Because God's will is not automatically done. It isn't. His will is being manifested by a people who rule through their faith. The beauty of God, though, is that even when his will is not done, all things work together for good. That he can take those things, those moments, and he can do something in us through them that will help establish us in his character, in who he is, so that we can stand and say, your will be done and then it is this is what we're contending for the will of God the will of God to be done faith creates an opportunity for the will of God to manifest in our life 
It's not automatic. And that's why we say, and that's why he said, when you pray, say this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And even as in as much as I do not believe it is the will of God for a 19-year-old to die electrocuted like that, I declare in Jesus' name, something good will come out of this. Even though he was stolen because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, we declare in Jesus' name, something glorious will come out. Not to justify the death, not to justify the, the theft, but to say God is greater than the thief. God is greater than calamity. God is greater than problems. God is greater than the trauma of our life. In Jesus' name, we contend for the will of God. Your will be done. So, Father, we declare today that we will be a people on earth who contend for your will. We will not be confused by the activities of the thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy. But, Lord, we will be ambassadors for a new government, ambassadors for a new heavenly system. Lord, we will contend, we will contend, for we will contend for heaven on earth, for what is in heaven on earth. We will not roll over and die. We will not resign ourselves to the imperfection of the things we see around. We will not say, well, this is better than we, we, we will contend. We will contend. We will contend. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. No, years ago, uh, I heard a pastor say, I'd rather shoot for 90% and get 70 than shoot for 10% and get 10. That's sometimes what we do is we lower the bar in order to feel good that we've met our goals. And God's saying, listen, I'm looking for a people whose goal is my goal. And then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you, you didn't reach it. You're still contending for the same standard, the same goal, the same outcome as me. And I'm going to contend for a cancer-free zone. I'm going to contend. You know, there, this is, the, this is the, the, the thing that people don't understand. I remember years ago there was a faith healer who was sick. Lots of miracles around. They said, well, you know, physician, heal thyself. And, and they, they seem, the, the world seems to think there's an inconsistency there. Well, there isn't. What if it, whatever in anything do you try to do, if you're playing a sport, you're trying to do it better than you did it before. The fact that you got less than what you were shooting for does not invalidate the more. Right? It doesn't, doesn't say anything about what is possible. It only says what is or what was. And so faith allows us to venture for what is possible, even if we don't get it. And that's why, that's why the chapter of Hebrews has those that have achieved amazing things and those that didn't. Because as they all contended in faith. 
They all shot for a mark. Some seemed to get it more than others, but all participated in the release of faith. And that's what we're trying to do is release faith because faith manifests the will of God on earth, but in degrees according to our faith. So, Father, we just uh, want to say thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for training us, for teaching us. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that, uh, Lord, we will increasingly participate, grow in our capacity, Father, to reveal your will in the earth. Not only in what we try to do, but in what we believe for, in what we venture to, in what we attempt, and even what we say is true. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, you know, there's an attack on the, the, there's always an attack on the kingdom, but today in our culture, there seems to be an attack on preaching. And, and uh, the reason is because God has destined the increase of faith through preaching, through preaching. Preaching is its own, uh, its, its own evidence of good. It is, it is a manifestation of the kingdom of God in and of itself. The preaching, God says, the, through the preaching of the word. And preaching involves speaking. I mean, I love videos. I love, you know, memes. I love Facebook things. But ultimately, it is the preaching, the declaring, the words spoken that actually activates and increases faith inside of you. And so not only, and it begins in our life through a preacher, and it's enhanced and, and developed and, and increases through a preacher, but it goes, it, it, it increases even further when you start to do the preaching yourself. When you actually start doing the speaking of what is true. That's why I contend all the time, and I tell you, open your mouth. Say something. Say what is true. You say what is true. You can hear me what is, say what is true, and there is some benefit to that. But it, it, it's multiplied exponentially when you start to say it for yourself. I saw that here. Wasn't it this week? Uh, um, uh, anyway, somebody was, was writing on the word thing that they had begun to declare one of the Psalms, and they realized that they were saying it over themselves, and it was doing something. Love that. It's an amazing epiphany when you begin to discover that. It was uh, Michael LaFort. Anyway, so we need to be doing that. Well, last week I shared something about life and death. I'm going to touch on, on, on some of that today. How many of you remember what I shared last week? Uh, uh, I got a lot of good feedback. about. Last week I was talking about life and death and the fact that in the Garden of Eden, let me pray actually before I start. Uh, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that, uh, Lord, thank you for your word that is true. And thank you for uh, the increasing revelation of your word. God, we honor you. 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 And um, you're so great. Speak to us, Lord. Amen. So I went back and I touched on, on the two trees that are in the garden. And if you haven't read the book, there were two trees. It's great. When I read the book, it was, it was a language for what God had been teaching me 
all my Christian days. I didn't have this language. God was doing this thing. He was actually showing me that there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a tree of death, and there was a tree of life. And he was changing the parameters. You know, when we're, when we usually normally think in terms of good and evil, good and evil, good and evil, good and evil. And there is ultimate good and evil, but it's not defined by human understanding of good and evil. It is defined by the paradigm of life and death. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, uh, they, they are expressions of two kingdoms. They're expressions of two knowledge. One is death and one is life. But one here has a false standard of good and evil, and the whole world is subject to that false standard. And so God is, what he's doing is he's reorienting us around not this perception of good and evil that man defines, because each of us define it differently, it's random, it's, it's lawlessness, every man does what's right in his own eyes. But he's saying, listen, there is an ultimate good and evil, but it's not good and evil the way you saw it all your days, but good life and evil death. That's what he's doing. So he's giving us a proper definition of good and evil, and the paradigm is not the old good and evil, it's life and death. And so uh, what he's trying to do in our life is say, listen, I want you to be led by life. Not this, you know, well, uh, not this expression of good and evil on the earth as you see, because it's just confusing. This is why you have political conflicts around things like, like uh, capital punishment. Right? They, people say, well, cap- how can you say capital punishment is okay because it's killing somebody? And if, if you know, if, if, if aborting babies is killing and, and that's killing, isn't all killing bad? Isn't, isn't uh, killing people in war, isn't that bad too? Isn't that immorally repugnant in the same way this is? No. Because you're, you, 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 you try and isolate a, a natural human activity and then define it as good or evil, and you're locked into that where God says, actually, no, my paradigm is very different. It's not based on this, and that's this, this, this itemized list of doing this this way or doing it that way. But, you know, the carnal mind wants to tell me how to live in life. You know, if I say in the name of Jesus this way, is that the right way to do it? Is that the, is that the good way? Is that the, no, you do it with faith. Well, is, when I say Jesus, is that faith? So we're trying to find systems, natural order of things that we can call good, and then we want to emulate those things to believe or make ourselves think that we're, we're, we're aligning. And as I said last week, I said, Jesus gave us no such easy trail. He said, the kingdom, life, is going to come to you by revelation. By revelation. I'm not going to give you just do this one thing or do this thing. You know, act like this. Adopt this style. Dress like this. Do that. Don't do that. That's not how, he, how life is manifested. And that's why he said, listen, the whole law thing is a shadow of what should come. That whole don't do this, do this was, had its own purpose, but it was to lead you to a revelation. You know, even uh, Drew read me a scripture earlier from Joel, and it said, uh, don't rend your garments, rend your heart. Why? It's, listen, it's an internal reality that the old reality, the rending your clothing, is actually meant to be a, a, 
it was pointing towards an actual rending of the heart. Because what you can do, and this is, this is the point of what he said to the Pharisees, you can do the right thing seemingly for the wrong reason, which still makes it death. So, well, if I rend my clothes, is that what we do in this religion? No, rend your heart. Well, how do you do that? Much easier. No, I can rend my clothes, rend my heart. Mm. How, how do you do that? Well, you've got you to gotta be sorrowful. Oh, I can be sorrowful. <laughs> no, 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 it's more than that. Well, more? Like louder or what? See, we, we want characteristics that help us define. And, and, and the kingdom of God is no. It needs to be revealed. You can't enter it artificially through, through emulation, copying systems and orders. And there is something in our mind that wants that, though, because it gives us a false sense of security that we've entered into something that we haven't. And that's what Jesus was trying to say about the law. Listen, you guys, you're not doing even what the law says, never mind what the law was pointing to. That's the death. And that's why, uh, you know, the whole um, paradigm of the New Testament, it says, um, where was it, in, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 6, it talks about our obedience is, is, uh, to the word, not the, not the letter that kills, but the spirit that gives life. See, the paradigm, he always goes back to, the kingdom always goes back to his life and death. But what, are you saying the law is bad? No, no, the law is good. Your application of it is bad. Your use of it is bringing forth death. But the law in and of itself came from God. It's good. Does it make sense to me? Good, good. Let me frustrate you more, says the Holy Spirit, because I want to bring you out of your paradigms, which are all death, and bring you into life. But it takes is an invisible leap. Well, just show me. What, I, what should I do? Sorry. Sorry, I can't show you. The kingdom of God is caught. Revelation is caught. That's why, the, you know, Jesus is doing all these things. He's doing his ministry. He's revealing life, revealing life, revealing life. And then he says to the disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, he didn't rejoice because Peter got the answer, right? He rejoiced because he was operating in life when he said, you are the Christ. Jesus detected the power of life in his words. He said, whoa, Peter, this, this is good. That's, and that's what we are trying to do here in our, in our lives. So show us how to pray. You know, give us the outline of a proper prayer. You know, does it begin with thanksgiving? Let me do that, okay. Lord Jesus, thank you. For, you know, we want this sort of, no, no, no. You can do all the right things. Pray good prayers and it still be death. What? Yeah. Well, how do we do it right then? Yeah, exactly. How do we do it right? Turn to your, in your Bible. I'm going to uh, go back and forth between two apps here, so it's great to have two hands to do this. Um. But well, we have these passages, turn to Hebrews 4, but we, we have these passages like this. As many as are led by the Spirit of God are, what? Sons of God. Oh, man, wow. That, I thought, you know, can't you give us a little more objective uh, definition here? How about 
as many as are tithing and going to church on a regular basis and, you know, don't sin, you know, sin less than this, those are sons of God. No, it's a very subjective, are led by the Spirit of God. Well, it's kind of subjective, isn't it? Well, it's objective to God because he holds the definition of what that means. But you're not giving us any concrete way to measure ourselves. Yeah, that's, it's very humbling. It's very, it makes you feel very powerless. That's what God is trying to do. He's trying to shift the, the source, the equilibrium of power out of, from you and onto the spirit at work in you. Again, we always come back, well, how do you do that? Just hang around life. Hang around life. Respond to life. Do everything you can. Even the wrong things to enter into life will lead you to life. Because in doing the wrong things, you realize, okay, that's not it. And that's okay, too. Anyway. Um, yeah, so many great passages. But let's go to Hebrews 4.12. Because uh, this is fundamental to, to where we're going in maturity. Now, I'm, I'm talking from the vantage point that I believe everybody's born again here, or, or you should be born again. And if you're not born again, because I was out last night with, uh, not last night, the night before, with a prophet from Ontario. He was doing a meeting in Westlock, and we were talking, and... We're talking about salvation, and I remember a couple of years ago, or maybe it was last year, I preached here, and I said, I preached a message on how do you know you're saved? How do you know you're saved? And, well, you know, I prayed the sinner's prayer, or, you know, I believe the four spiritual laws, or I, or, no, that's not how you know you're saved. You know how you know you're saved? His spirit witnesses with your spirit that you are a son. Oh, what if some days I'm not sure? then you're not sure. Salvation is not, uh, well, just pray this prayer. Say these magical words, and you're in. It's not saying magical words. Well, how, how do I birth? How do I be born again? It's a mystery. How do you? You, you have to chase after it, first of all, like there's nothing else worth pouring yourself into. And then somewhere, as, as you actually are, are bringing all the issues of your heart, all the strength of your desire and your will, and focusing, I must be saved, something happens. Well, how did that happen? It's a miracle. Miracle. So anyway, why did I say that? Okay, right. I'm, I'm talking to people who are born again. So you get born again, and when you get born again, your spirit becomes alive. And we define alive by connected with the eternal life of God. The one who joins himself to the Lord, it says in Corinthians, is one spirit with him, right? You become one spirit with God. Becoming alive in Christ is you get this divine connection with God. And then what happens is that that as you grow, that connection starts to become increasingly evident. And that's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, bring forth fruit meet for or appropriate to repentance. Well, that's just legalism. No, it isn't. If you're born again, things are going to start to shift. 
They may not all shift at the same pace as others or in the same dimension as others because there's other factors of grace, calling, gift, and election, and all that kind of thing, but there will be evidence. What if there's no evidence? Then we can wonder whether you had the experience. That's not bad. Yeah, but you make me feel insecure. No, no, you're already insecure. I'm helping you see that you're not secure. Because you can be born again. You can be assured. His spirit can speak to your spirit. Say, you are my son. You are my son. And I have, I have so many things waiting to give you. But it starts with becoming born again. So, I'm assuming, talking from the vantage point, that we're born again here. What is it God is doing after that? Well, what God is actually after, wait, no, I'm in the wrong book. Who did this? <laughs> Hebrews. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Now, if you know the context of this verse, uh, it's powerful stuff. Because, and I, I won't want to share too much of the imagery of it because it can get complex, but Israel in bondage in Egypt being delivered and coming out of, of uh, unbelief and their journey into the, their destiny of God is representative of uh, you as an individual being born again, coming out of the world and, and entering into your destiny or God's promises for your life. So there's a, parad- there's a, there's a metaphor there for your journey. So he uses that, and it's used again and again in Scripture, but particularly in Hebrews, and then we come to this, this, this thing here, this passage. And I'll start reading in verse 6 because he's, uh, yeah, also reading verse 6. And this is what it says. Since therefore it remains that some must enter, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he was entered into his rest, Himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Now, that's a mouthful. There's a ton of things in there. And I don't even try to explain it all. Except to say this one simple thing. In, when they were leaving Egypt and they were going into the present-day Israel, that land that God was giving them, they thought that this was the promise. The land was the promise. And, there's, and you know, here the apostles are saying, no, that wasn't the promise there is another promise. There is another rest. That was a foreshadowing of, a, of, an, of, an, of, a, of another rest that should come. And this rest that should come is universal for us as believers. Um, so anyway, that's the brief, brief introduction. But let me go on. Because ultimately, he's chastising them for their unbelief. And he's saying, listen, you need to have faith. You need to believe. If you're going to enter into your destiny, you need to enter into it by faith. So he's talking about faith. He's talking about believing. And he's saying it's, it's a critical. If you're going to enter your destiny, I need everybody to listen. Joshua. Everybody. 
If you're going to enter your destiny, if you're going to, Joshua, if you're going to enter your destiny, it's going to be happened by, by faith. By faith. You have a destiny, Joshua. You have a destiny. And you have to enter that destiny by faith. Do you have faith that will enable you to get into your destiny? Do I have faith? Do I have enough faith? Because this is what he's talking about. Listen, more can be had. And so there's a lot of teaching about how do you get more faith, but, and that's what this verse is really bringing us to. Let me keep reading. Let us therefore be diligent to enter the rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And this is the verse I really want to focus on. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents and the heart. Okay, remember at the beginning today I said to you that faith and the kingdom of God is advanced through the preaching, through the increase of faith, you know, uh, uh, you know, you know all the passage on, on faith. The faith is the substance of things hoped for, etc., etc. You know, you believe, therefore you speak. So the faith is a fundamental thing you need to have in order to enter into God's destiny for you. But here... But, but it, it, it's increased through the word entering. But here's the question I have. What does the word do when it comes in? You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we believe that. So we're, we're reading the Bible. We're declaring the Bible. We're listening to preaching. But internally, what is God actually doing that causes faith to happen? Anybody ever wonder about that? My kids were always the type that, how does this work? How does this electricity thing work? You know, if I put a fork in this thing, you know, what, what happens? I, we always, I always want to look, well, how does this work? How does faith increase? It's important because, because if, you, if you are in a place in your life, you're thinking, I don't have as much faith as I want to do. Sometimes we get lost in the semantics of this. Oh, I need more faith. I don't have enough faith. I have unbelief and I need more faith. You know, but may, maybe those words are just meaningless words. I need more faith. What is that? Well, if you see what faith does, maybe you can understand what it is that should or should not be happening or is and is not happening. And so here's, here's what it is. The Word of God, when it comes into you, it's living. So the, a lot of the words here that are defining this, telling what the Word is, it's powerful. It's living. It's sh like a sharp sword. But when it comes in, this is what it does. It pierces, piercing, even to the division of soul and spirit. So when God's word is coming to your life, he's coming to pierce you. And that's why when, uh, you know, the, the, the angel came to Mary, the mother of Jesus, said, and a sword will pierce your own soul. Like, what, what is that about? I don't need a soul pierced, thanks. He's talking about this, because you also will be born again. Hallelujah. So a sword is going to pierce. Well, the sword pierces and penetrates, and it says it separates. Separates between soul and spirit. I want to tell you right now that one of the ways you can graph maturity, if it could possibly be graphed, you know, it's, it's one of the subjective things, but... But in your life, you're going to realize that dividing between soul and spirit is fundamental to walking in faith. Let me say that again. The dividing between soul and spirit is fundamental to walking by faith. Why? 
Because sons of God are led by the Spirit. But, uh, so I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to demonstrate that I'm a son of God. I want to be led by the Spirit. So how do I do that? And usually our carnal mind says, well, you've got you to pray more. And you do, but, but that's, that's the wrong goal. What you need to do is stop being soulish and be more spirit-led. Well, how do we do that? We're looking, again, we're look, we look for objective behaviors to help define that course. But no, it's a mystery. The Word of God comes in and separates. And when it's separating between soul and spirit, it's, that, that division is it's very hard to articulate or put your finger on. And so we come upon it very gradually, as did the disciples. And this, so here's a couple of issues, a couple of moments when you see this, this epiphany on people where they all of a sudden start to realize, hey, there's something supernatural happening here in my life. Peter is one of them where he says, he says, he says do you want to go as well? And, you know, John 6, or, and, and he says, where, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. He said, listen, Jesus, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't understand you. I don't understand why you're saying these things. They're so hard. They're difficult. Everybody's, you're ruining your own ministry here. I don't understand that. We're discouraged. And yet, and yet, and yet you have the words of eternal life. So I can't go back, but I don't even know how to go forward. Ah, you're in the, you're in a kingdom tension here, Peter. This is great. It didn't feel so great. I don't know what I'm doing. All I know is, like, this is not working. Nothing's happened like I thought it should, but you have words of life. He said, well, that's great. The fact that you even know that these are words of life, that's a big plus. Now, there's another scenario in Luke chapter 23, I think it is. I won't even turn to it. But the disciples, after the resurrection, they're walking on the road to Emmaus, and there's this guy walking with them, right? And he starts showing how the Christ should suffer and rise again the third day, and they're walking, right? You remember that one? The road to Emmaus, and they're walking along, and it's all going good, and all of a sudden, Jesus is gone. And they go, oh, it was the Lord. It, 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 it was the Lord. And what did they say afterwards? They said, did not our hearts burn in us? What is that? What is that? See, if you're going to be spirit-led and not soul-led, there has to be a distinguishing between what does it feel like when you're soul-led, what does it feel like when you're spirit-led. And the preaching of the Word, the Word going into your life, is one of the ways that God starts to orient you around what is spirit and what is not. It's kind of... I'm trying to think of examples, you know, in terms of industry or something. But, you know, if, if you're an electrician, you're going around a house, and, and you know there's a problem. The lights aren't going on, but you don't know where the problem is. Often what you're looking for is, is like burnt, a burnt plug or something. I had Darcy and Gil and, and Len come to my house. I don't know how many times in Stony Plain when we first came here, we had a problem. Lights were not, you know, occasionally functioning and then not functioning at all, and they're trying to find, what is the source of this? And they finally found a place where there was kinetic energy going, you know, and it was burning out wires and burning a plug behind the wall, and it was, it was, it was great to find it. But the point is that when electricity or, or when there's moving parts and something's, you know, you're trying to locate a sound, then you, you go to where that agitation is. The Spirit of God at work in you creates a kind of friction, a kind of activity 
And initially, you don't know where it is because it's, it's very vague, you know. I don't know. I'm just in here, and it feels good in here. But eventually, God starts to separate between soul and spirit because what you have in your soul is all your feelings, all your feelings. We have a daughter who has too many feelings. We tell her all the time, you know, you, have, you heard my feelings. Well, you have too many feelings, obviously. So your feelings are all in your soul. Now, you can't help being in the presence of God and not feel something. You know, when, the, when there is a manifestation of God's glory and God's presence, you're going to feel that in your feelings. But what God's trying to train you is feel him in your spirit. There's a place where the word goes in. See, the word, when it comes, it can affect your body, but it's not designed to, to go into your body. Your body is not the vessel. Your spirit is. And when something is being poured into your spirit, with these guys, by being around Jesus all the time, they start to recognize that it affected a part of them differently than the other parts of them. And they start to realize that there is a location for this. There is a part inside my being, not in my emotions, not in my own thoughts, but it comes through my thoughts, it comes through my emotions, it's in my body, but it is not my body. And you start to discover the place of origin. Where is the word going to? Where does it come out? This is why I tell you to pray in tongues. You know why I tell you to pray in tongues? Because when you pray in tongues, you're activating that part of you from which that the word goes to and comes from, your spirit. You are activating the gateway. And when you, see, where you, well, I, I hate doing it. I want to, you know, I don't know what I'm saying. Well, because the place where you know what you're saying is not the place. That's not the place. And that what God is trying to do by maturing you is show you the place that he intersects with you where heaven touches earth. That place inside of you is, that, is the place that burns when the word of God is, 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 is entering your being. And so when you pray in tongues, rather than just having one sermon a, a week or you know, a little bit of fellowship here and there, man, you can, you can, where, you can feel that burning. Where's that coming from? What place is that? And it augments and increases and causes your senses to orient, not around your own feelings, self-pity. See, and this is what God is trying to do. He's trying to, the soul has its own agenda. The soul has its own history. The soul has its own priorities and feelings and preferences. And they they are, they are connected to your, your, your fallen condition and the sin in your life. And so God is saying, listen, I need to divide these two sources of, these two catalysts of, for activity in your life. I need to divide them because I need you to obey this one and not this one. Well, right now, they're all just kind of jumbled together, Lord. Yeah, I know. So what I need to do is separate them. Separate them. Well, how do I know which is which? Well, I'm going to do the separating, but the evidences of whether that separation is taking place will be all over the place, and it will be acknowledged and reinforced by spiritual fathers and mothers in your life, like Jesus did for Peter. Hey, flesh and blood didn't reveal. That was, there was a lot of life on that, Peter. Way to go, man. That was boom, yeah. And you know what? That's not just life in you at work, and that's great. That, you just, that is the kingdom. That's how I'm going to reveal the kingdom. Faith is created 
by the word of God entering you inside of you and separating soul from spirit. Well, I, I'm not sure I feel God. I'm not sure I know God. I'm not sure I know the voice of God. I'm not sure. You can be sure. Maybe not exactly sure the way I'm sure because there is a dimension of a gifting that I have that is not necessarily related to who I am as a simple believer. But you can be surer than you are right now. The question of how sure will you be is not answered until you become it. And so just let's get on with it. I want to be sure. I want to know the voice of God. I want to be led by the Spirit. It takes a lot of humility because, again, we, we tend to want to do things the right way. You know, I'll do it the wrong way in private, but I want to do it only the right way in public. Well, God says, yeah, you're going to have to do both in private and public, and you're going to have to be willing to look bad. You're going to have to be willing to do it wrong. You're going to have to be willing to you know, operate in a low level of life, and somebody come along and say, yeah, maybe don't pray right now on the mic. You need to, you need to be around life a little bit more. Because the prayer, I remember years ago, I had a guy come to me, and we were starting to do some development and training people to operate in spirit and revelation. And he said, man, you know, I'm in the room, and it's, it's electric, and the presence of God is here, and then, then I feel all these things, and I, as soon as I go to the mic and start praying, it feels like the room just starts dying all around me. I said, yeah, yeah, it does feel that way, doesn't it? <laughs> because it does. So you, you are at the place in your spiritual life where you can recognize life as it comes from others. You're at the place where you love life and you know it's the stuff, but when you start to do it, you keep operating from another place. And that's a real hard thing for people because who are you to tell me? Okay, then, keep doing what you're doing. But if you're humble, if you're willing to see Am I operating in life? Is it creating the kingdom? It is, is it bringing, is, is, do, do my prayers, do my words when I share Christ at work or when I'm talking with others, do they cause the same effect in them that the word that that preacher, the effect that that caused in me? Because that's the goal, ultimately. Or is there any semblance at all that there are any parallels? And once you start to find, oh, wow, there's a moment where I knew there was life, and others said, wow, that was really powerful. Okay, what did I do there? What did I do? What did I do? What was that? How, did I, how do I repeat that? And we do like everybody else does. You know, what song were we singing? Let me just replicate the conditions. And you realize, no, it's not about any of that eventually. It's, it's about something else. But you start to narrow down, and then you start to stick to the Spirit. I want more of the Spirit. And then what God does is when you start to do some of that, and then he brings you around people who are Spirit-led on a whole other level, and then you feel like a dunce again. Ah, ah I feel like a baby. That's all right. If you want to keep growing, you get into another league. You get, you get around people... God will bring you around people who challenge you, who, who start hitting the Spirit on a level you can't. You know, I do that all the time. You may think that when I go out, I'm only with, you know, I'm only the, the, the bright shining star, but I'm not. I get around people where I am the dull roar, and they're the sharp, you know, sword. Why? Because I need what they have, and you need what others have. 
because we're growing towards something. We don't even know how to do there or how to get there. So there's a humility all the time of, I'm not pretending. Even Paul said, I, I, don't, even, I don't even count to myself to have a, a achieved, but I press towards the mark of the high calling. I mean, despite all I've done, I'm not pretending I've arrived. I'm not pretending I'm done. There's a process I'm in. I mean, God is the one who's measuring this. How can I pretend that I'm done? So, life and death, life and death, life and death. Death works through Christianity. Death works through Bible verses. Death works through prayers. Death works through, you know, all those, it's not a system of do this, don't do that. It's life and death. I just, I want to, we have to have a heart that just says, God, I want more life. I want to, I want to draw near to life and I want to respond to life. And I want to start, I want to let you continue to separate, separate soul from spirit. Um, let me share this one last thing. One of the elements of soul is even in your Christian history. Uh, I was at a funeral last week, and it was a great funeral. Actually, I've, I've been at some funerals. I'm, it's interesting. I'm watching the response of people in worship uh, pertaining to cultures that they're in. So I was at this funeral, and, of course, it's a leader in the vineyard, great guy, wonderful man of God. I've, I've known him for years. Anyway, so at, at the uh, funeral is all, all vineyard people I know. Well, consequently, they start singing vineyard songs that I haven't heard in years. And it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that song. I remember it. Yeah, that's great. And it was interesting watching them worship because the resp- a lot of them is like, oh, yeah, I haven't heard that song in a long time because David Roos was leading worship. It looks like a grandpa. And um, anyway, you remember David Roos? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, so it, was, it was a very rich atmosphere of singing these old vineyard songs and I'm th- sitting there, okay, how much of the richness of this is because I, the people in the room have memories of how significant these songs were in their past and how much of it, you know, if you put a young Christian, you know, uh, 18-year-old or, you know, in that room, would they be as stirred as the old people who have memories? And that's what I'm wondering. Not that there wasn't an anointing and a presence, but sometimes the catalyst is my memory of an experience with a song. And oh, when we sing these songs, I can really enter in. Yeah, well, later you're not entering in by the Spirit then. Because the Spirit is not dependent upon a cultural uh, nuance. Musically. Well, you know, if I could get a guy who wears skinny jeans preaching to me, then I respond a lot better. You're not spirit-led then. If I get a guy my age who talks my language, the language of my generation, then I can really respond. Then you are soulish. So dividing soul from spirit, what does that look like? We can enjoy cultures. We can enjoy songs. We can enjoy different sounds. But we're not limited. by Our spiritual life is not dictated to by... This, the, 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 the history of our soul, trauma, or highlights, neither. That's what the soul does. It anchors you in the past. It anchors you to the future that has not come, uh, and it's all through the soul. And the word comes to separate soul from spirit.
won't eliminate your soul, but just to say, don't be led by this. Because it will always lead you to what is temporal. So, Father, today I ask in Jesus' name for the word to come into my life, into our lives, and separate between soul and spirit. God, we want to be people that are spirit-led. We want to know the ethereal. We want to know life from death, not, Lord, good from evil. We want to know the good that is in life. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would continue to separate soul from spirit and distinguish, Lord, like in the disciples, where is the place that burns? What, what comes out of the burning? What does it feel when burning comes out? What does it feel like when burning goes in? What is quickening? What is it, this language that seems so subjective, God? But it's not subjective once you've experienced it. Father, change us. Change us, change us, increase us. Do this work in us. In Jesus' name. Amen.